Hello and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, May 11th, 2017, also known as National Eat What You Want Day. With me as always, Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern. So Ben, how's Wait, it going and what do you want to eat? So basically, this is like the national version of cheat day. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm noticing a theme here with these with these holidays. It's all just about pigging out. I like it. I like it. What, um, what are you going to eat? I think I had Shake Shack today, so I'm pretty much I feel like I'm celebrating even though I had no idea that that's what today was. Is that an East Coast thing? Yeah, Shake Shack is like East Coast uh, in and out. So okay. it's, uh, these are very controversial topics when you talk about like what people like, like Shake Shack versus In-N-Out versus yeah. Five Guys, which frankly, Five Guys really shouldn't be in the discussion until they figure out their cheese melt game a little bit better. I've, but, had, one, I've had Five Guys one time and it's not as good as In-N-Out. Right. So my breakdown, and it's highly subjective, um, but the rest of you are wrong, uh, <laughs> is Shake Shack's really good. But it's like almost twice the price of In and Out. Yeah. And so even if it's equal quality of In and Out, In and Out wins hands down when you factor in its price point. Yeah, that's always the kind of overlooked thing about In and Out is how cheap it is. It's, it's cheaper like, than Chipotle, and it's amazing yeah, quality. It's actually even cheaper than like McDonald's and stuff yeah. like that. It's so super good quality for it's because and it's because they just focus on such a specific thing. They don't. They and they don't have worry the volume to make it work too. Yep. Um, so it's actually like a great uh, lesson in sort of like execution of design. The design's really simple. It's a cheeseburger, yeah. but they execute it with such rigor and at such high volume, but without letting the, they use the volume of it and the simplicity of the menu to right. actually offer more value rather than like making the design crappier. Yeah. It's okay to be a one trick pony as long as it's a really good trick. So summation, Shake Shack, delicious. In and out, delicious as a feat of business. In and out, slightly more impressive. Uh, impressive because they deliver it at about half the price. Nice. There you go. That's been burger talk, everybody. Um, so, as you may have noticed already, Mike, aka Mark, is not with us today. He's uh, still alive. I know that kind of made it sound like he was dead or something, but he's no all- longer with us. <laughs> yeah, as far as we know, he's still alive. Hopefully, he lived but- the full twenty-one <laughs> years, and no. <laughs> Hey, he accomplished a lot, so yeah. if we could all be so lucky. But anyway, yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into it. So what are you working on? Um, so I've been traveling. I'm in New York right now. Uh, I was here because I got a tattoo. Yeah, um, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, I, I documented it on Instagram stories. I also recorded it. I'll put out a video about it. Um, it was actually like really interesting. Because it was my mm-hmm. first tattoo, and it was like a pretty sizable tattoo for first yeah. one. Um, I had teased what I was getting like a, a while ago on my Instagram. So if you want to see what it is, uh, go back on my Instagram post and you'll see it. But I basically turned my left arm into a ruler. Um, I always use my sort of like uh, knuckles and finger lengths to sort of measure things informally. So I uh-huh. basically put a series of rings around my arm to transform it into a a, a ruler. Um, but it was actually really interesting to see how the tattoo artist went about actually setting up the process. Uh-huh. And it was a lot more similar to what we do than I would have previously imagined. For example, it took him way almost way more time to set up the tattoo than to actually execute on inking the skin. Right. Right. Similar to how it's like 
setting it's up a not, cut right, for five right exactly and just, setting up the cut over. and putting the jig and setting the fence and double checking to make sure everything's square on the fence right. almost takes up more time than actually clicking on on the saw blade and executing the cut yeah for sure um and so in particular i had sent him like a 2d image of what i wanted but he has to translate that into a three-dimensional design and this design has to be accurate because i'm actually going to use it as a measuring device but my arm isn't like a flat surface like a 2d jpeg it's like right. a cone-shaped irregular cylinder yeah. that gets larger as it goes closer to my elbow so does it go all the way around so it's yeah. on the, the front of your forearm and the back right so okay. seeing his strategy for how to sort of map a 2d image around an irregular three-dimensional object that not only is Ill irregular but it changes like he was showing me how when I bend my arm it fattens up some parts of my forearm and other parts yeah. get thinner and even if I twist my wrist it totally changes that so we really what was fascinating about setting it up is that we had to make decisions about which positions of where I hold my arm are we going to prioritize dimensional accuracy uh, yeah. and I'll put this all into a YouTube video but uh, I thought it was just going to be like a YouTube video where, oh, I'm just recording like lifestyle cool stuff. But uh, these people are like artists and they put a lot of time into their craft. And actually it was really fun sort of exchanging ideas. And he knew nothing about woodworking. So uh -huh. it's like I I was, uh, his name's Evan Kim. Uh, he's a Korean guy that's based out of New York. He travels to LA sometimes to do tattoos. Uh, we'll put a link to his Instagram in the show notes. Really awesome dude, uh, super chill, and uh, w it was really fun just sort of ex you know talking about our both of our mediums. Right. And it was also one of the great things that I liked about it is that you know this is my first tattoo, so kind of permanent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but permanent. seeing how seriously he took that, and he was probably more nervous than me because he was like, you know, this is sort of an unusual design. Yeah. Normally, he just has to make it look good, and he knows a lot of ways to make it look good. But he's right. like, with this one, I have to make it look good, and also it has to function as a yeah, precise it has to, like, measuring be super tool. Accurate. So he was like super nervous. He's like, I don't want to mess this up. I really like your work that you do. Um, so it was actually the the pressure was on him. Uh, also, the the thing everyone's been asking me on social media is like, oh, does it really hurt? Uh huh. It hurt. Uh, the finger part was yeah, I like can see that because there's like nothing there. It's yeah, just, like the, bone was right there. The most painful, but um. It wasn't like it was so painful at any one point. It was just that it was five and a half hours of like Ugh. medium pain. So yeah, it was, even it was just more, sitting there and just like having someone tap on you would hurt after five yeah, hours. It was like a marathon of discomfort more than uh -huh. it was like excruciating pain. But I would almost right. rather have like extreme pain for like half an hour than like mild pain for five and a half hours. Like afterwards yeah. I felt like a little bit frayed and disoriented. Uh, yeah. like kind of like a weird jet lag or something like that now let me ask you this do you like after getting it do you already have ideas for other ones in your head or just like not worrying not about really because right like this was always like a one-off thing uh, uh -huh. i like tattoos i like them graphically i've always liked graphic designs and particularly i like tattoos that are sort of graphically inter uh integrated into the body like into uh -huh. the form of the body more than i like sort of clip art that's placed on yeah, just the like body a picture right so, uh, for me, 
what I really was excited about this design was one, it's functional, which is unusual, I think, for a tattoo. And then yeah. it also still symbolically sort of represents like what my life now is about, which is sort of making things and designing things. Um, yeah. So I got my first tattoo when I was 38. So it's not exactly <laughs> like I'm on spring break and I'm a college student. It's like, and I had this idea like two years ago. So uh, this was like a pretty well thought out thing. This wasn't like a rash, like, oh, I'm like, you know, totally blackout wasted. Like going to go get yeah. a, you know, a dolphin on my lower back. Um, Nothing. That, not that there's anything wrong with that. I have best, one. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, it's actually a porpoise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a narwhal. I got a horn on yeah. it. It's the unicorn <laughs> of dolphins. Um, so no, it was like a, it was a pretty well thought out thing, uh, and it was finally ready to pull the trigger on it. Found a, uh, a cool artist, and yeah, it's still still a little while to get used to it. Uh, I got to put all this like you know ointment and shit on it, um, but uh, yeah. Uh, I guess there's an itching part that's coming soon. Uh, mm-hmm. It's supposed to be unpleasant, but uh, stay tuned to my Instagram and I'll give you updates about how my uh, my new functional bionic tattoo arm is like performing. Nice. So I uh, this past weekend I started building the modern version of the Nelson bench that I was talking about last week. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, so far so good. I. Basically, the the main thing that I did over the weekend was put together the top, but the top's actually, it's funny. So this is the first time I've ever done this where I'm building something, but the design is not quite finished yet. And that's because I know the size that it's going to be, but I'm not sure of like the exact pattern that I'm going to get routed into the top yet. So I'm still kind of playing with that a little bit, but man, putting that slab together, this thing is beefy because it's, so it's maple, which is already a heavy wood. Right. And then I, and so the finished size of it is going to end up being about five feet long, 19 or 18 and three quarter inches wide and like about two inches thick. So it's like oh, a beefy oh, wow. slab. Two yeah. inches thick. So and, that's yeah, like 120 pounds or so? It probably, yeah. If I had to, I mean, I don't know, but I, I can pick it up on my own and like get it onto my workbench, but like you got to kind of muscle it around a little bit. And like, and the other and thing right now maple, it's got like the sharp corners. Yeah, the sharp. The, you the, grab the, like, it. <laughs> It's funny. It's like, uh, yeah, like maple, there's such a difference between like walnut's a hard wood, but yeah. maple can cut you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, I think it's considerably harder. And then because the edges are all like squared up nice and 90 degrees, yep. cause you know, I've already cut them all there. I, I probably should actually break the edges. I don't know why I didn't think of that sooner because so what I did was I left it purposefully oversized by probably, it's probably 21 inches or so wide right now. And like an extra foot long because mm. I want to leave it way oversized when it gets routed because at first I was thinking, okay, I'll cut it to size and then have them CNC route it. But then I thought, well, now you got to worry about like getting the bit perfectly centered and all that stuff or, you know, having like a perfect registration point. So I figured, well, why not just leave it oversized and have them cut the pattern out and then actually draw the path and have them cut the final path out so that your design is definitely centered on it mm, that makes sense or you could just get like a little pack of like trained worms to eat through wood like there you, you ever seen that like the the Sick worm em. wood and yeah it's like you know get a little bell train them to go in certain patterns and stuff like that <laughs> pavlov's worms yeah it'll take a while I'll, so I'll what do you video. you think you're going to finish it this week or um so i'll yeah i think i'll I'll finish all of my parts this, like I'd say one more day probably. And I'm done. Not, not including like, you know, just like fit, putting oils on and that kind of stuff. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, 
I have the base pieces like ready to go. I just need to like cut the joinery and assemble them. So I'd say one more day and I'll be done with it. And then I just have to find time to go to the sign, sh- to have the sign shop be able to like take the work and, and do it. I, I've worked with them a few times. So if possible, I try to like schedule a time where I can just go there and actually get it done and then take it rather than dropping it off. And then I can actually film it and make it part of the video. Um, so it kind of just depends on their workflow cause they're a pretty big company. Um, you know, they have like big industrial machines and they, they have like accounts for like Disney and all kinds of like big hotels and that kind of stuff. So it just kind of depends on what their schedule's like. If I can do that, if I can't, then I'll probably just use drawings and animation to kind of describe that part of it. So I don't know. We'll see what ends up happening with how that comes out. Exciting. Will this be your heaviest project to date? Um, I would say that the record player cabinet's probably heavier just because of the size of it, but like I would say weight to volume of wood. And then also it's you got also it's going to become a lot lighter once the CNC work gets done because I'm essentially removing like you know 40% of the material right there. Yeah, it's no, going to have that, like a bunch of grooves that are routed. That's all what was nice through. about my steel table. It's like started off at like 300, cut some big chunks yeah. off. It's like okay, now now this is manageable. I can I can finish this off. Yeah, now. even though it's still like technically taking up like the same volume or whatever. It's a lot of it's just negative space now. So awesome. uh, oh, oh I know one other thing that I want to mention. So uh, yeah. last week I little, I had talked about how I was doing a talk at Autodesk. Um, mm-hmm. I did that went awesome thanks to everyone that came we had like a sold-out crowd which was fantastic uh this was uh, autodesk boston's first ever design night so uh, i was a little bit nervous being like their first speaker and uh but ton of people in the sort of making community came uh it felt great to help them sort of sell out the event and really show that there is a huge interest in design and making met a ton nice. of awesome people uh, I was actually in the, the talk that I gave actually said, Hey, you know, if anyone's out there, cause I'm working on some robotic garden sort of on the, on the back burner. And I sort uh-huh. of said, Hey, if there's any engineers out there that know about sort of moisture sensors or sort of irrigation controls, like come hit me up. I got flooded with like people that <laughs> sort of had the right expertise that have been giving me great advice on that. So, um, Again, if there's like any a, engineers here and everybody raises their hand. Yeah, there's like a ton of engineers. <laughs> um, so it was like super useful event. Um, what was great was in addition to just being a talk, we also had workshops. Um, mm-hmm. So we, Rayobi sent over a whole bunch of glue guns. We had like thousands of ping pong balls. People were making like versions of my ping pong ball projects and yep. lamps. Everyone's going to uh, burn their house down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was an open bar, like this food. It was, yeah, it was just great to see like a, you know, these kind of events for the, the sort of maker community uh, yeah. where it's sort of mixing together designers, tinkerers, makers and all that kind of stuff. So were you the only person that spoke at that evening then? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was the Can show, man. The, the opener and the closer right there. Opener and the closer. The whole deal. Ben Ueda. All right, so I guess, oh, real quick, somebody wrote in, remember last week when we were talking about the uh, the two by four challenge stuff and, and uh, I don't remember who was asking, but Whitewood, somebody was saying like, what species is Whitewood? Oh, yeah, so somebody yeah. actually wrote in. Mystery and, me. Yeah, he says, so this is Richard Clark and he says, to add Dude, to the debate on- Dude, that's the name on, of my grandfather. Is it? Yeah. 
He's like, he says, dear grandson. <laughs> no, he says, to add to the debate on Whitewood, here in the UK, so this might be different than in America, Whitewood can be spruce, Douglas fir, hemlock, pine, and several other species of unclassified timber. So rather generic. Hope yeah. that helps. Keep yeah, up the good work. It's kind of like white fish. Like it could be like a whole bunch of different like species, but in general, they got white meat. Good old All white right. fish. So uh, yeah, that adds to that conversation there. Keep it going, guys. It's Keep basically that white like wood mystery wood. Up. Yeah. Of yep. a pale complexion. <laughs> Anything light in nature. Awesome. Right, so, so what are we talking about tonight? So today we're actually, we don't have a topic per se, but we have a question that was kind of a long four-part question that we're going to use as our topic. So I'll go ahead and just read what Kenzo Fry, that's the guy's name, which that sounds like it's like a Star Wars character or something. Kenzo Fry, also from London. So this is like our UK show, I guess, today. So here, let's just get into it. So he says, I've always watched Ben's videos and tried to make some of his stuff. And through this podcast, I've discovered Four Eyes and Modern Builds. Brilliant. So there You're welcome, us, Four Eyes little, and Modern Builds, by the way. Thank you. Bringing it our way. Um, let's see. You guys have become excellent teachers of various woodworking and craft skills for many of us. But from your origin stories, none of you were formally trained in these areas and had only a little bit of professional experience specifically with making. I have a few questions relating to that. So number one, did you ever get the feeling, who am I to teach this? There are people that have been professional craftsmen for 20 years that know way more than me. So here, I'll go ahead and chime in on that first. Um, it's actually something that I've thought about a lot and I've addressed it a few times. And so my general rule is that I don't consider myself a teacher, even though like sometimes I give little tips here and there, but I'm always, I always try to say like, you know, this isn't necessarily the best way or the only way. This is just one of the ways that I've learned that either is my favorite or that I'm choosing to do this time. And so I actually kind of address that about like in terms of skill level of saying like, you know, I'm not that good and I probably look a lot better than I am on camera. And so don't consider me a teacher, but you know, feel free to take some tips away from it. But there's like a lot of better resources probably out there on the internet if you're looking for just like technical information to learn from. And I always encourage people to explore those. Yeah, teaching is a really loaded term. So one, it's a great question and super appreciated because it gets at the heart of what we're doing, which is presenting demonstrations of making. And mm -hmm. those could be interpreted as teaching. They could be interpreted as entertainment. They could just right. be interpreted as like, some ASMR thing that people just like to watch before they go to sleep because they like the sound of our voice and they like, right. you know, hearing power tools in the background. There's lots of reasons why people can make things. So one, the first thing I'd like to say is that whether or not it's teaching really depends not just on what our intent is as the producer of the video content. It depends on the intent of the listener because I can produce the same content and it could teach one person and be entertainment for someone else. So right. it's a two-way street when it comes to teaching. That being said, I actually do have a background in education. I was, uh, I've taught at Cornell, Northeastern, and some other universities as well. But I was always teaching design, not making. So if there's anything that I think that I'm really teaching, it's about design, not craftsmanship. Right. Uh, I would agree I'm not in a place to teach craftsmanship. I don't have enough reps. But I am in the place to teach design and how it's applicable to everyday life for a lot of people that are equally good, if not worse, craftsmen than I am. So yeah. uh, I totally feel comfortable teaching design ideas. 
And the overriding idea was that you can make awesome things with relatively simple materials, not a lot of experience, and basic tools. Right. I think I'm, like, not to toot my home, I think I'm good at teaching that. And I think uh -huh. I can demonstrate that, and I think my content shows that out. Whether or not I know the right way to set up cuts or make the right jig uh, to use with a table saw, I have friends that are good at that. If you want to see like a great way to set up your shop, check out Brad from Fix This, Build That, or Izzy Swan has some really awesome jig setups. If you just want to see really good instructions for making pieces of furniture, check out Rogue Engineer Jameson Rance. He, he publishes uh, really meticulous instructions for individual pieces of furniture. Mm -hmm. I feel what I teach is the, the possibilities of creating kind of novel and interesting pieces out of kind of mundane materials. And I give them kind of like a modern industrial twist. So yeah. teaching resourcefulness, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. But teaching craftsmanship, I mean, you'll if if you've never done anything, you can probably learn a little bit from me. Right. And in in many cases, if I've never built anything, I've never held a drill or never held a circular saw, and I go and I watch, you know, some master woodworker. There's such a big chasm between my resources and my abilities and what he's showing that even if he's an expert teacher, it might not resonate. It right. would be like uh, you're just learning the English language and somebody hands you Shakespeare to read. You might want to start with something a little bit simpler. Go so, dog go. Am I the teacher of craftsmanship? Absolutely not. But am I part of an overall media landscape which is offering like a better way to be self-taught by just using the internet for all sorts of sort of uh, uh, interests. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's right. super exciting, and I'm really proud to be a part of that. Right. I've always described my show as kind of, like if I had to say what the values are that it gives to the most people, it's going to be entertainment and inspiration to go out and, and try to design something or build something, but it's kind of disguised as a tutorial or a how-to. And I think a lot of things out there are like that. Like if you look at cooking shows, like what percentage of people that watch cooking shows actually cook that thing? It's probably a pretty small amount. It's 98% entertainment. And right. I don't know, I think that most of the stuff that I'd say, yeah, kind of the same thing that you just said, where it, what I'm doing is entertainment, but yeah, maybe depending on your skill level, there is some little tips in there and, and takeaways that you can get from watching it. But yeah, definitely not my focus. And, you know, if anybody ever accuses me of being a teacher, I'd say not a teacher. No, we're, we're, we're broadcasters, technically. Um, we're exhibiting what we're doing and we're doing demonstrations. Right. But the intent with any one specific media content isn't to create instructionals. Like, my videos are not tutorials. Right. Uh, you might be, it might be fair to say that when you combine all of the media I produce, if I produce like a PDF and a video, that some interpretations of all that content combined could create part of a tutorial. Okay, fair enough. But the videos don't have the complete information. They're really a demonstration only of what I, of what I'm building. Right. But, and the ways you can use things and that type of thing. Right. And I hope in that demonstration, other people are inspired to make things of their own. And then, you know, sometimes I'll publish plans or stuff like that, that maybe get people a little bit closer to that. But by no means is anything that I produce a tutorial or like a step-by-step -step 
100% complete guide to make this. Right. Actually, the one area where I do kind of teach, I'm, I'm using air quotes there, would be on the let's talk about design videos is closer to teaching. But again, that's I'm talking about like aesthetics of design in those videos, which is very subjective. So there is no right or wrong. Technically, I'm just, again, pointing out the way that I think and, you know, how I think designs can be improved and that sort of thing. But it's not like hard and fast information. Right. I want to I want to educate my audience the way I like to learn about cooking. I don't want to memorize a whole bunch of recipes, but I want to learn concepts about like mixing the proportions of like acidic to sweet or acidic right. to salty or fattiness to some other sort of flavor combination. Right. So if I learn ideas about those concepts, I can riff with all sorts of different ingredients yeah. where if I just learn uh, recipes I'm limited to whatever I can memorize, but I can't yeah. really Im improvise and improve upon it. It's like the saying about teach a man to fish. I can't remember exactly what yeah. it is, but that. <laughs> yeah, and so it's something I'll always say where I'll say like, you know, always try to learn things, learn the concepts behind things, not just a prescription for repeating something because it lets you sort of take the core knowledge and the essential part and put your own identity to it rather than just emulating uh, the great things that you see to a lesser degree. Right. All right. So let's move on to the second part of the question. So then he says, despite this, you are the ones we want to learn from. What are the attributes or habits that make you so good at teaching this stuff? So I guess it assumes that we're teaching this stuff. So I, I mean, I'm good at it, but thank yeah, you. Yeah. Appreciate I would that. say, I mean, so I will probably have less to say about this since we probably kind of covered it a little bit already, but the attributes, I guess, would be whatever teaching or knowledge we are conveying, I think it's being able to wrap it up in an entertaining package, you know, something that you want to watch. It's not just like a dry, you know, 45-minute long thing about one little technique. Right. Well, e even... Let's, let's, let's really break it down, right? Because I, th I think it's actually an interesting question. One, thank you for saying that we're good at it because it's not really for us to say. So uh, we know that we love doing it. We know that we get great feedback from our audiences, which we're incredibly humbled and grateful to get. Um, but we don't know if we're good at it because we're not there with you and we don't see that like, oh, when you made the version that was inspired by what we did, we don't know if it came out great or not. Um yeah. We just see the Instagram post, uh, unless you live near us and invite us over. So the if you're actually thinking what makes us good at making other people want to make it, uh, I would say off the top of my head, there's a couple things that play into that. One would be motivation, right? So that would be if I make a table. If the table doesn't look good, it doesn't matter if I made the best, clearest video that has incredibly easy to understand instructions. If the end result isn't a table that people go like, I would love to have that table in my house, they're not going to have the motivation to even pay right. attention to the instructional part. So uh, one of my professors in architecture school always said that, you know, architects, uh, they make drawings that uh, instruct and motivate. They motivate mm -hmm. people to, to spend the money to build the building, but they also instruct people how to technically build the building. Right. Uh, so one way is that I have to produce imagery or content that makes people 
intrigued by either through curiosity or intrigued for from actual product desirability meaning they like they want to have the piece of furniture i designed in their own house and then the second part is sort of explaining and making it seem that it's actually doable that even yeah. though this piece of furniture looks pretty awesome it's actually surprisingly easy to make yeah so, i think that's probably your like bread and butter is, right. is doing that making something look approachable and making outside of the box thinking or approaches to to designing and building furniture approachable right and when when i look at the projects that work really well and the ones that don't work that well mm -hmm. uh it's normally because i overemphasize one versus the other um i have a lot of projects where people are like oh yeah i could totally make that but no one makes it because it doesn't the end product frankly just doesn't look good enough or right. they don't see that it serves any sort of function or maybe they're apprehensive about how functional it actually is um other times, like in the spiral staircase, everyone seems to like the way it looks, but right. not that many people have made a version of it because yeah. it's hard and it's very specific in its application. It's a uh, thank you for saying that we're good at it, but um, I think there's yeah there's there's a lot of components that go into it, and when you actually break it down, I think from my standpoint, the thing that I do well as opposed to a lot of people I think in our space uh, is. I really take the time, and you do this actually uh, too. And I think actually all three of us are, are probably, it's one of our strengths that we share uh -huh. is we take the time to photograph our finished product in oh, yeah. a domestic setting. And I think yeah. that's like one of the things why like I sort of connected with you guys is that we all shared that similarity is that we really take pride in how we present the finished product because um, right. we know that's going to lead to the motivation of somebody even wanting to learn how to do all the difficult parts in the first place. Yeah, I think that's always kind of been my, like if, you know, if I have one hope for each video that I put up, it would be that when somebody's finished watching it, I think I, I always tended to use the word inspire, but I think motivate's probably a better word that hearing you use it. Yeah. It's basically, I want the person to watch it and be entertained by it, you know, hopefully have at least one laugh and then feel motivated to go either build it or to build something. Just feel motivated to do something. Yeah, that a desirable outcome is possible. Yeah. All right, so I guess we can move on to the third part of the question, which is sometimes in the comments, people will criticize you for not doing things the right way. And he uses quotations there. Does that ever get to you? How do you get past negative feedback like that, especially when they are sort of right? So I guess there's there's well, assumptions. First that of they're all, right. they're never yeah. right. No. Uh, <laughs> listen. Uh, no. Those bleepity bleeps can go bleep themselves and then <laughs> shove the bleep up their bleep. Uh, no, but it doesn't bother me. Um, I'm gonna dub all that in later with funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it bothers me. Um, uh, but it doesn't bother me a lot. The same way if somebody honks their horn at me in traffic, um, like the minute the light turns green and I didn't slam on the gas, mm -hmm. it bothers me, but doesn't bother me that much. So right. I don't believe it when people say, oh, it doesn't bother me at all. Sure, it bothers you, but just it should bother you proportional to what it actually means. Uh, if I'm at like a maker fair or something like that and somebody comes up and takes the time to explain to me what they don't like about my thing, that means more than somebody sort of sitting in their mom's basement in their underwear typing a negative comment. Uh, it's not the negativity that matters. It's the time and the way it's sort of crafted and put into it will yeah. impact how much I take that to heart. 
So if somebody just like types a two word comment that says uh, this sucks, it bothers me, but doesn't bother me a lot. Right. Uh, if somebody types a two paragraph thing explaining why lacquer would be better than paste wax as a way of sealing and protecting steel, that doesn't bother me at all. That makes me feel like they're contributing to my community and helping teach me something. Uh, criticism, uh, it's not all created equal. Uh, there's totally flippant and useless stuff, which is like, it's like light rain. It doesn't really ever impact you that much. Um, it's just kind of annoying. There's really hateful stuff, which is frightening that strangers on the internet have so much anger and malice towards you for, you know, it's not like I'm talking about politics. I'm freaking making DIY designs. Like, chill out, bro. Um, but, uh, that's easy to sort of push into its own category and not take it too much to heart. Yeah, I think, I think the parts oh, that, uh, oh, the parts that fascinate me are the people that act as if I'm breaking some rule for right. some sort of cultural practice that I'm not particularly aware of what they're talking about. Like, <laughs> that's not the right way to do woodworking. Oh, oh, so we're in a cult of woodworking where there's yeah. religious practices and ceremonies and customs and these things. Um and the thing I don't like about those comments is that they assume that they know what my intent is. Like if somebody tells me, like, you should edge band your plywood. That's Why? not a right or wrong thing. That's a, an opinion thing. He's assuming that the aesthetic of plywood is ugly. That's a totally valid opinion. But I'm assuming that the aesthetic of the edge of plywood is striated like my favorite landscapes and stratified and reminds me of like geological uh, places that I've been to that are awesome so right. respectfully disagree um, so he can say that that's wrong and then I'll look at the stuff that he's made and be like oh you know what he's made better stuff than me and I really like it so I value his opinion except that's never actually happened the people that say that stuff <laughs> They either have like one or two things that they made and they're mostly garbage or they haven't made anything or they don't yeah. post anything publicly. So, um, it yes, it bothers me, but it always bothers me in hopefully the right proportion. And I try to sort of provide context to that negativity and then categorize it into its proper place. Yeah, I think it's funny that at the end of the day, we're human. And so anytime you get criticism, even... Like you would think you would build up an immunity to it, but when you read it, like you still do have that just like fleeting second of like, I'm going to write this jerky thing back to him or whatever. But then like, you know, you kind of let it roll off your back or whatever. But yeah, I think that it all just depends on the intent of the person. So if the person's intent is to be helpful and add to the conversation, like you're saying, then I don't take any, I don't have any problem with it. In fact, when I first read the question, I was thinking about what's like the best thing that the best comment that I've gotten. Um, and it was actually really recently. And so I haven't tried this yet, but I'm going to try it the next time that I make angled tapered legs. Cause I think this advice that somebody gave me was like really good. So whenever I make angled tapered legs, what I would always do is make the outside of the angle, a set degree that I knew. So like 15 degrees, 30 degrees, whatever. But then because of the taper, the inside part of that angle would always be just some weird, mm, you know, like yeah, 29 yeah. point three, seven degrees. And so, and that's like the more crucial part and the part that has to line up with other things for joinery. So he said, well, why don't you base, why don't you set the inside of the 
of the angle as like your baseline, so 30 degrees or whatever, and then let the outside, outside be that dictated degree. And so I drew it up just to see how it would work. And like, it changes the way you have to kind of do the math about it. But just from like the eyeball test, it totally looks just the same. Like you can get the exact same result by doing that. And it would very much simplify, you know, setting, dial, trying to dial things in on the miter saw and, you know, all, all those areas where it's, it gets hard because, you know, you're human and you can't dial something into a tenth of a degree that accurately, you know, in spite of having a, a gauge that is supposed to let you do that. There's always going to be a little bit of wobble or whatever. So being able to like set something and repeat it, it takes that variable out of the equation. So I'm really excited to try it. And I'm super thankful that he gave me that criticism. It, it, it's funny. We're not at digital woodworking tools yet, right? Like No, not for, yeah, not for those kinds I've been, of things. I've been cooking with like a sous vide machine, which is like a digital temper con- temperature control for heating water to cook food in. Uh-huh. And it's incredible because it's like precise to like half a degree. So you can really control how hot the water gets. So if you want to cook right. like sous vide pork chops, you can get like the super thick pork chops and cook the cook them to exactly 130 degrees perfectly. Okay. And I was thinking about that. I was like, we don't have like a table saw with like a keypad entry uh, that does that yet. I mean, are, no. are there stuff like that on the market? Or? I think there is kind of that. I mean, I know there's definitely ones that have digital readouts where you can set it. I'm sure that there is that like in industrial type right. things, they probably have that. But from like, a, so just take for what I'm doing, not for something that was like mass produced industrial. I don't even think, I think it's the type of thing that would look like more of a benefit than it actually would be. Cause because 90% there, of the time you use 90 degrees. Well, that, and also because there's still going to be so unless every single thing is computer controlled and they're all interconnected and calibrated exactly right there's still going to be some part where there's human error and then if you mess up that one thing then all the accuracy in the world doesn't matter because you have to be referencing that one thing i did actually use a digital uh stop block on Mm -hmm. a miter saw at the autodesk wood shop so mm-hmm. Autodesk, where I'm a builder in residence, they have a pretty awesome wood shop. And the miter saw, it has this like track next to it, this aluminum track, and it's like yeah. a motorized uh, stop. Yeah, so you I just think enter I saw in, that like, on. I think I saw that on uh, this old house one time. Yeah, so you enter in. So so let's say you want to cut pieces that are exactly thirty six inches and three eighths of an inch long. Right. You plug that number in, and it all of a sudden it goes, zzz, and the, right. the, the stop moves to there, and then you just like put your 2 by 4 in and cut them exactly that long. Right. Um, so I have yeah, seen see, when some I saw it, digital pieces like that. but it, When I saw it, it was, yeah, it was on this old house, and they're using it for construction purposes more than like furniture purposes, which I think that there's a little bit more margin of error that's tolerable when you're, you know, building an eight foot wall compared right. to building like a well i could see it making a lot of, of sense for like cabinets and stuff because you're, you're sort of batching out stuff but it's like semi-custom batching out something right yeah and i think it's one of those things that like again once you get into mass-produced stuff like you you probably have like each machine that's just sped up or set up for this one specific task so i don't know it's just a, it's a different animal than what we're doing we're definitely not there from like a hobbyist who wants to build all sorts of different things. If, you know, if we'll ever be there, who knows? Yeah. Um, so but yeah, I mean, it would, 
Oh, is there ahead. a fourth or fifth part to this question too? There's there's a fourth part. Holy crap! So this is it. This is this the is like finale. The, this is like the whole show in one I question. Know. The who did this question? Name? Let's give him a shout. Out. It was it was the uh, the Star Wars guy Kenzo Fry. Oh, Kenzo Fry, yeah. <laughs> Kenzo Fry, I like that. I'm gonna name my next kid that. All right, so he says. I don't enjoy other channels' super advanced woodworking videos much because it's so inaccessible. He's saying we're I, not super advanced? Pretty much. It's a, go, so, no. <laughs> we don't like Kenzo Fry that much anymore. No, he says, as you get better and evolve your skills, do you worry that, you're, that you will become too good and we, your audience, will start to find what you're doing less accessible? Yes, I worry about that, like, my skill set of gluing together ping pong balls to make cloud-shaped lamps is going to literally leave the rest of the mirror-making mortals behind, and <laughs> I will no longer be relatable, and I will be living on the medical, uh, metaphorical versions of those clouds. Um, <laughs> those ping pong clouds? Uh, no, I, I am not. Um, I don't w- worry about a lot of things. I worry about, do I pay my bills? Am I healthy? Are the people I care about healthy? That's what I worry about. Um, other than that, I rely on metrics as indicators that tell me whether or not I have to worry or not. Right. If all of a sudden I published a video and I saw that like half my audience unsubscribed because of that video... I would use that not necessarily as a place to worry, but as an indicator to do something different. Um, So again, in terms of responding to criticism, I don't respond to criticism because it's more noise than it is signal. I do respond to signals. If I I watch, like, uh, there's sponsors that I work with that they'll have me do like a little heavy-handed of an ad read. And all of a sudden Uh I see, oh, wait. I have way more disproportionate dislikes to likes than my normal videos. It's like, okay, next time I got to push back on those sponsors to do less of a read and, or at least have it more uh, natural, right? More authentically integrated into it. So I definitely take cues from the audience, but it's hardly ever from a comment. Um, But again, there's no worry. There's just watch, learn, Mm -hmm. react, improve, keep going. Yeah. I think that also, so yeah, if that were to happen and you did become so good, it's not like that would be a bad problem because you can always dial it back and, and dumb yourself down a little bit. But even if that wasn't the case, I wouldn't worry about that for a couple reasons. The first is that presumably the people who are watching you can also grow with you. It's not like, you know, you're evolving and they're these stagnant people. And also the type of content that we're making is really not time sensitive. So you would still have that whole back catalog of easier things that you've done in the past that, you know, for the people who are just learning right now or, you know, they're new to it, they can discover you through those things and then progress through your progression. Yeah. Re- go rewatch the 170 videos that I made already. Please. Done and done. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> All right. So I think that's the end of. Good question, yep, Kenzo Fry. You. Kenzo Fry, you remembered it. I was gonna. I always just want to say Kylo Ren, but yeah. he's Kenzo Fry. So uh, we actually have a hypothetical also from awesome. another kind of odd name. Let's see if I can say it and I don't butcher it too bad. This is Lauren von der Ostensaken. It's all easy sounds, but it's just a lot okay. of them. Lauren, so, thank you. <laughs> just say Lauren, that's easier. Um, would you rather have a very standard and boring prefab house that meets all of your basic needs for free or 
all the money you need to build your dream house with everything you ever wanted, but you will have to continuously work on it and fix it throughout the whole time you live in it. Well, obviously that would need some embellishment to give a yeah. pure answer, but let's just take it in the spirit that it was meant. Um, for me, it's like uh, in my 20s, it would have been the low-maintenance prefab house that's perfect because in my early 20s, I thought the life's greatest adventures were going to be through traveling and exploring the world and doing things and you know jumping off of cliffs and diving into oceans and right. e- exploring the world. Um, so the idea of domesticity or a home base wasn't particularly important other than a place to do laundry, rest, clean up, uh, and store my stuff. Um, as someone in their second half of their thirties now, uh, I don't think of that way. I think of home as like an expression of who I am, an expression of my values. It's where I entertain people. It's where I have the people that I love and care about over to share ideas, share a meal, um, you know, it's it's a place to house the most ex- important experiences of my life, and right. I want it to be expressive of that. So I don't. Th- I think that's a pretty probably normal progression from sort of being a young person to a young adult person. Uh, right. So uh, in my twenties, it would have been low maintenance. Just give me a bunker that I can sleep in. But now, no, I I, I would rather take the time to fix it up and to have it be the way I want it to be. So you've kind of shifted from wanting to explore the world to wanting the world to explore you. Kind of been all over already. I'm not going (laughs) to say I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot of it. So it's funny, my like gut reaction to this question or like the, the way that I immediately interpreted it was more of asking, would you want something better that you have to be a slave to or something worse that you can just totally ignore. And so I actually kind of... I'm glad she phrased it in like a house question and not a significant other question. (laughs) I was not thinking of it like that. I was still thinking of it as a house. But I would... So I guess if I'm being more literal right now, I would actually take the first one, the, the boring prefab house that just meets all my needs that I don't need to worry about. Just because... I guess also because the way she phrased it of having to continuously work on it And so like, if I just look at the things that I've done around my house, like all of the things that I've done, I I always try to do it like where my goal is to not have to maintain things. So like we we re-landscaped a year and a half ago and I got artificial turf, decomposed granite, succulents, just like all things that are as low maintenance as can be. So like the only cleanup that I have to- Combating that drought, just one man making a drought resistant- I'm doing it for, for laziness though, not, yeah. not for the environment, but you know, like the only things that there are to clean up in my backyard now are all my neighbor's trees that grow over and drop oranges <laughs> and stuff like that. But yeah, so th- that's just kind of like my mentality about things. I just don't want to have to. What's well, interesting. We, have things. you ever heard of that? Like food product soylent? Yeah. I, I like, don't know. I, my, I mean, see, I've heard of it, but I could see that sort of like intriguing someone like you, right? Where it's like, tasteless but efficient nutrients so that you don't have to worry about eating yeah i'm right? never hungry so i used to always yeah think about that like in terms of like if there was a pill that you could just take and then now right you're like not hungry. There, there's some people that eat just as fuel that they're just mm-hmm. totally ambivalent and it's not because they're like bodybuilders that are trying to like meal plan and like get them gains 
They're just right. they're literally <laughs> just trying to figure out the most efficient way to survive because they don't particularly get a lot of joy out of food. And so there's this thing like soylent, which is this like very simple, like boring milkshake, which will get you through your days. It's not optimal nutrition. Right. It's not optimally delicious. It's just fine. Um, right. And low maintenance and dependable and it stores really well. So for things like that, like, yeah, I think those are the same people that would want like the sort of prefab option. Um, hey, that's not me, man. I don't want that soylent. But yeah, I want that prefab. I don't either. I, I want a little <laughs> bit of idiosyncratic stuff. I want some Shake Shack. Was that what it was called? Exactly. Shake Shack. But yeah, so see, okay, so I, the reason that I would take the prefab thing right now is because I feel like I'm still at a point where I'd rather invest all that time into doing the other things that I want to do that I think would then, so basically, you know, investing that time kind of in yourself. And then I'll, I feel like I'll, I'll bet on myself to still be able to get that dream house later. Right. Rather than you see it as like a, as like a temporary infrastructure that gets you to where you want more efficiently. Yes. Yeah. That exactly. makes sense. Awesome. So, Good hypothetical. Yep. Thank you. Lauren von der Boom. So what are you obsessed with? So this one, I'm not going to go with it. I'm not going to say it's a full obsession yet, but it's more of a, a curiosity that I just kind of started thinking about. And it has to do with the modern Nelson bench. So that's, I want to do a base that's kind of black. So I was thinking about different ways to do it. So I got some mm. ebony stain and just put it on the maple to see what it looked like. And I wasn't really. It doesn't work it as long. Much. Wait, it's so weird how those stains work on maple versus oak. Yeah. So like, maybe I should make it out of something else. Well, like I've. I've ebonized oak and it comes out great. I've tried the okay. same stains on maple and it just like, it looks yeah. greenish. <laughs> yeah, maple, it's it was too, I, and maybe I can try more coats. I don't know if that even makes a difference, but yeah, it's too translucent. So then I was thinking, well, maybe I'll just like spray paint it a little bit. And then I was thinking about, I don't know if you've done this and I don't know if I can pronounce it right, but I know Mike actually did. Shaosugiban? Yeah. Yeah, where they burn it. Yeah. Have you done yeah. that? Uh, yeah, it's... It's messy, and I think it's better for exterior stuff than okay, interior so stuff. Probably, yeah, that's and, what I was going to wonder is, like, does it texture the wood? Like, does it have, well, like, it's, a rough... it's, like, it makes the wood, like, charcoal. So you, like, put your fingers okay. on it, it's, like, sooty. And so then you can, like, lacquer it, but then it's shiny. And to me, uh, okay. when it's, like, that shiny charcoal-y thing, it, like, loses the aesthetic that I wanted in the first place. So then maybe it looks I'm... like some crappy thing from, like, a W hotel in, like, the early 2000s so then i'll probably i'll probably experiment with painting it and if all else fails maybe i'll just use a different species for the base i don't know but yeah i was just kind of thinking of what could be something different that'll give me that look and that will if that was going to be an option i thought it would be cool just to try something new but maybe i'll save that for a different project cool it's exciting what do you got so a couple things uh right now i'm obsessed with toys so uh i am working on a deal with toys r us as a new sponsor mm -hmm. which is exciting and challenging because it's, a, it's exciting because it's a different kind of company than what i normally work with they're yeah. not like a woodworking or construction company or diy company um it's exciting because it means that they're interested in just the raw creativity uh, mm -hmm. so they're not saying like, Oh, you're a DIY or people take your recommendations on tools and plywood is what they're saying is sort of like, we want to work with you because you can do creative stuff that positions our stuff in a new light. Yeah. Um, it's also exciting because if you were to tell me as like a kid, <laughs> what sponsor would be like the most awesome, like, hell yeah, Toys R Us. <laughs> so 
Uh, I don't know. We haven't worked out all the details yet and totally finalized it, but I think it's going to involve some sort of massive shopping spree in Toys R Us. Nice. So hit me up on social media if you have any good ideas. Like, if you were to do, like, a cool art or design or making project with, like, $5,000 worth of toys from Toys R Us, what would you do? Um, So hit me up with any ideas if you got them. The second part of my obsession is I've been watching a lot of Jimmy DeResta YouTube videos. Now, most of the audience probably knows who Jimmy DeResta is because he's awesome and he's like one of the the pioneers of making and showing how to make things on YouTube. Awesome guy. He's exactly in person what you would want to be if you watched all of his videos. Just like hilarious, brilliant, uh so charismatic and individualistic, humble, quirky, just he is exactly like his videos. So Thursday, I'm flying up to see his sort of upstate property and hopefully do an interview with him for our weekend show. And uh, also just get a tour of, you know, I've seen his New York City shop, which he's now leaving. And so now I'll hopefully get the chance to see what, what, uh, what his sort of making facilities like in a rural setting. Cool. So you know, going shout back out to, to Jimmy. Going back to the Toys R Us stuff, I remember, I don't know if, if they had this when you were little, but when I was like in kindergarten, I remember they had some kind of contest where you could like win a, I don't know, one minute or two minute shopping spree, where it was just like everything you could get into your cart in that time you got to keep. And so they would advertise it on Nickelodeon. And that was like my dream to win that shopping spree. And so every day after school, I would sit there and I would watch Dennis the Menace, like the old black and white TV show, and Lassie. And I hated it. But I was just like waiting for them to be like, Chris Salamone, you've won the shopping spree. And I never even entered it. I didn't know you were supposed to enter contests. My mom never told me. So, Well, Chris, I'm just here to live your dreams. I know. I'm living vicariously through you now. Making making deals with Jeffrey that I wish I could have made. <laughs> awesome. Right, well, yeah, I guess that's a, a good place to wrap it up. So go check out our Instagram. You can follow Modern Maker Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, Ben's going to put getting, some pictures of his tattoo. Yeah, I'll do some tattoo pictures. We're getting really awesome submittals for the two two-by-four competition. Yep. Absolutely blown his way, uh, blown away by what's his name, uh, Josh makes or uh, oh, some guy made this awesome side table where he literally oh, yeah. chopped up the whole two by four into a whole bunch of little Jenga pieces. And he uh-huh. built this like three dimensional lattice that like could filter light and it's like uses that as a side table. Phenomenal! I think we'll repost it on our Instagram. Um, but uh, yeah, there've been a lot of cool projects. You guys are awesome. Like the stuff you can do with $6 of material is like truly inspiring. So keep those awesome white wood projects coming. (laughs) The mystery wood. Yep. So check that out. Keep those going. Subscribe if you haven't already. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review and ask us a question. We didn't have any come in last week. I was expecting some five-star questions to come in, but nothing so far. Just nice comments, which we appreciate as well. But I guess that's all we got unless you got anything else. Nope, I'll post a tattoo picture right now. Cool. All right. We'll see you guys on the weekend. Take it easy. Bye, Mark. <laughs>